Soulmates, plenty to talk about on this Thursday. I want to welcome you to Fox Soul's Black Report. We're following the latest efforts to provide mental health services to black Americans and the latest in the Shanquilla Robinson investigation. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte. Plus, tax season is here and the deadline is quickly approaching. We'll have the tips you need when filing this year and the black cosmetic company that's interrupting the beauty industry. They're the stories that impact our people. You know we're going to give you our news, our views, and our voice, so let's get into our top conversation for the day. A man who has served more than 34 years of a 400-year prison sentence has been released after the state of Florida reinvestigated the case and determined he did not commit armed robbery. 57-year-old Sidney Holmes was arrested in October of 88 for allegedly being the driver for two unidentified men who robbed a man and a woman at gunpoint outside of a store. Holmes was convicted in a jury trial in April of 89 and sentenced to 400 years in prison. Prosecutors at the time had asked the judge to sentence him to 825 years. In 2020, Holmes contacted the state attorney's conviction review unit claiming he was, quote, uh, factually innocent of the armed robbery of two people outside of that convenience store. My w goodness. What a miscarriage of justice to, to serve for decades. Insane. He's never, ever going to get that time back. And, you know, just reading some of the details of the story, mm -hmm. how does one person get over 800 years in prison? Yeah. How does that even happen? Well, the prosecutor at the time, um, he was a, this, this particular, uh, Mr. Sidney, was a repeat offender. And so in the prosecutor's mind, he felt like, let me give them him as many years as he can so he will not walk out of this prison breathing because if he had just asked for life he would have been eligible eligible for parole in like 25 years but how egregious and mm -hmm. sick and almost evil is that like he asked for 825 years he got 400 so it, it, it was still a win for the prosecutor in regards to proving his point but now fast forward and these new prosecutors in this new day we're living in uh, saying that it was wrong we're about justice and we apologize but 30 years of this man's life is gone. And these are only the stories that we hear about. That's right. You know, think about how many folks were prosecuted by this prosecutor mm -hmm. uh, that uh, are still serving mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, some South Carolina Republicans are now considering abortion an offense that should be punishable by death. They're working on a new bill titled the South Carolina Prenatal Equal Protection Act of 2023. And in the bill, the term person would include a fertilized egg at conception. The bill would ensure that an unborn child who is a victim of what they call homicide is afforded equal protection under homicide laws of the state. Basically, that means that a woman who goes through an abortion, goes through with an abortion in South Carolina would legally be eligible for the death penalty. You know, this brings up a point that Chris Rock made in his um, in Netflix special. Uh, he was saying, look, I'm pro-life in the sense that none of us would be here if our parents didn't, you know, choose to, to bring us into this world. He was referencing his daughters, but he, because he had two daughters, he said, I'm also pro-choice because they should be able to do with their bodies as they please. And so I, I kind of uh, really agree with that. And, and what makes this so devastating 
disturbing and scary is that these women could be up for the death penalty even when the pregnancy is a result of rape uh, or incest. That is insane. That's right. And what happens in South Carolina can easily happen in Anywhere. too many other parts of the country. That's right. You know, and so sometimes we, you know, we look at it as, oh my gosh, you know, that's really extreme what they're doing over there. Mm -hmm. They're only getting started, right? Mm -hmm. And this is what leaders in the reproductive just move, justice movement have been uh, fearful of for a long time. Uh, this is a part of the consequence of the overturning of Roe oh, v. Wade. Roe v. Wade. That's right. Let's move on here. U.S. officials believe UFOs may visit Earth very soon, with the Pentagon suggesting an alien mothership is in our solar system. Now, last week, officials theorized that these extraterrestrial crafts could send small probes to study Earth, similar to NASA missions. The Pentagon's all-domain anomaly resolution office, a.k.a. AARO, and Harvard University's astronomy department shared their findings on March 7th. AARO launched in July 2022, tracks unidentified objects near Earth. In 2005, Pan Star telescopes were created to locate objects in Earth's orbit, leading to the detection of potential alien presence. This is this is nuts. This is nuts. You know I mean, this is, this, is, this is some Twilight listen, Zone stuff. But listen, friend, we're here. Why couldn't other people be other places? I, I, I feel like there's, there's other societies and people call me kooky if you want to. I feel like why wouldn't they be somewhere in, on their planet doing what they do and want to come and, and, and tap in and see what we all about. And they might, they might be scared of us. And that, that brought us <laughs> what I'm saying. We're a mess <laughs> here on planet right. Earth. I'm just saying, I, I, I believe in the possibility. I, listen, I was looking out my window last night, big picture window up in the sky and they were like- You saw some aliens? Uh, no, there were like three streaks. And I'm like, how did these streaks get here with like no jet? you know, the, the little fumes at the job. I was uh -huh. like, how, how did that happen? They were going straight up in the sky. They probably were coming to have dinner with me last night or something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, there's some people that, that, that say, if you can believe in Jesus, you can believe in aliens too. The power yeah. of belief. Well, I believe that there's other folks aside from us. That's just my, maybe not folks as in human, yeah. but I believe it's, there's some, something out there. Extraterrestrial beanie, beings. That's, that's it. Yeah, well, you know. well, a ghost submarine floating in the Pacific Ocean was found with two dead bodies, and get this, hmm. almost $100 million worth of cocaine. Colombian officials say that the 49-foot-long submarine had 2.6 tons of cocaine on board. In addition to the two deceased, two other survivors needed immediate medical attention. Investigators say that there uh, was an accident inside the semi-submersible uh, due to the toxic gases from the fuel, it's believed that the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia are the owners of the submarine that the government recently seized. Cocaine. That sounds like an episode of Snowfall. I'm catching up on my on my on my seasons. <laughs> you were here. up late the other night. I know, I know. Watching Snowfall. Rest in peace to John Singleton. I mean, what a what a, an amazing body of work he yeah. left. But listen, um, that's high tech, and that's a lot of cocaine. That's a lot of cocaine. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a lot of cocaine. Mm -hmm. And you know the fact that it they're moving it by way of submarine. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we're we're used to you know drug mules, mm -hmm. but you know drug mules, you know, they, they didn't got in the water. Yeah, it's, it's 2023, honey. Mm -hmm. It brings a whole new meaning that's to something it. in the water. That's it. That's good. All right. The family of former NFL player Stanley Wilson Jr. is insisting that police beat him before uh, his death. Now Wilson died last month 
in an L.A. County mental health facility. This week, Wilson's family filed a lawsuit against the county one month after he was transferred from county jail uh, and then died at the uh, hospital. The attorney for the family says photos will prove that the former NFL player was a victim of excessive force by officers prior to his, his death uh, at the age of 40. Only 40 years old. Yeah, this is pretty uh, sad story. He was, he's a former uh, cornerback mm -hmm. for the Detroit Lions, so I'm familiar with him. And I also want his family to check um, for signs of CTE if it's not too late, uh, because there has been a mental history. He was charged last fall, if I remember correctly, for a breaking and entering to a Hollywood Hills home, and he was found in their outside fountain bathing. So there's definitely been some mental issues. Mm -hmm. So uh, as they're pushing for justice uh, with this uh, system here, uh, I also want them to tap into uh, the NFL and that whole CTE thing and see if that could have been an issue for him. Yeah, I mean, the CD, yeah. CTE is nothing to, to, to play with. And, you know, um, we still don't know enough about it. That's we true. still don't know enough about it. And uh, I think, you know, the, the NFL has some serious questions to answer. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with his family. Um, now, new details have emerged regarding the suspicious death of 25-year-old Shanquilla Robinson in Cabo, Mexico. Reports reveal that Robinson was acting strange the night before her death, and her six travel companions fled Mexico after her passing. Autopsy results classified her death as a violent uh, death with a broken neck as the cause. An arrest warrant for, for, for femicide has been issued for uh, Dejanay Jackson, one of the travel mates. Lawyers for Robinson's family have sent a letter to President Joe Biden calling for an arrest. We just want answers. You just want answers. This has, has gone on a, a, a bit too long. Uh, this family, uh, you know, is still suffering because there has not uh, been been justice. I want to believe that you know delay does not mean denial, and they've got some some heavyweights on this case from this side uh, of, of you know state side, and I'm hoping this family can find some progress. You have a, a yeah. letter there. And speaking of heavyweights, I mean this is a copy of the letter right here, yeah. and you know Ben Crump and Sue Ann Robinson, who's been on mm -hmm. uh, Foxwell's Black Report to talk about this case. I mean this is a very detailed letter uh, to the president and to the Secretary of State, Secretary mm -hmm. Blinken, and. There's so much in this this letter that uh, is a head scratcher at the very least. Um, you know, very strange that her travel companions, mm. uh, you know, they transported Shanquilla's luggage from Mexico to her mother's home in Charlotte. Uh, they went to give their condolences and inform her mom of her passing. They said that she passed away by alcohol poisoning. Mm -hmm. Well, already we know that doesn't jive with uh, what we're, we're seeing reported from the coroner's office, the fact that she died of a broken neck, mm -hmm. not of alcohol poisoning. And so there's some fishy stuff happening, and the president has the power uh, to... Uh, bring this case stateside uh, and uh, get to the bottom of it. And so I know there's an active FBI investigation, but uh, Ben Crump and Sue Ann Robinson are saying we need the president to act now. Yeah, in the meantime, we're going to have to keep saying her name for sure. Let's move on to a Vermont high school uh, girls basketball team 
that will no longer be able to participate in future district activities and tournaments after they refuse to play against a transgender player. Now, the Mid-Vermont Christian School forfeited the game last month and stated justification as, quote, did not meet the expectations of the organization's policies. Now, the district informed them that their decision will cost their involvement in future activities. The school responded saying canceling their membership is not a solution and does nothing to deal with the very real issue of safety and fairness facing women's sports in Vermont and urge the district to reconsider its policies and balance the rights of every athlete in the state. You know, this is an issue that I think is going to continue uh, to hit the headlines. You know, this idea of, you know, trans folks uh, in sports mm -hmm. and whether or not, you know, uh, it's fair for them to be able to compete. We've mm -hmm. talked about that a number of times mm -hmm. uh, on this, this program, how, you know, there are, you know, trans folks out there, you know, that um, sometimes they win, sometimes they lose in races against cisgender folks. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this idea that they may have some advantage, you know, we know that there's not enough science out there that conclusively says that, uh, but there are people that say, well, you know, because you were born with, you know, an X or a Y chromosome, um, you know, no matter what hormone therapy you take, you know, you still have some sort of advantage. And so there's at least the perception that there's an advantage uh, among trans athletes, but that perception has to date been unfounded. Yeah, I think it's a matter of fairness. Are you biologically, um, do you have an advantage? And I think that's where, you know, I question, question things. Yeah. Well, Kobe Bryant's time as a player, father, and filmmaker mm -hmm. was just honored in an iconic location. His hands and footprints were imprinted at the TCL Chinese Theater on the historic Hollywood Walk of Fame. His widow, Vanessa Bryant, and their daughters, 20-year-old Natalia, 6-year-old Bianca, and 3-year-old Capri, were there as Kobe's hands and footprints were unveiled. His oldest daughter, Natalia, spoke at the ceremony about the legacy of her father. As you visit here for years to come, I encourage you to place your hands in his and take a moment to stand in his shoes. This will be a treasure for the city of Los Angeles and my dad's fans from all over the world to hold and to cherish. She is just stunning. Yeah. And it's just good. I mean, you never know what's happening, you know, behind closed doors. I mean, they'll probably, that's a lifelong of grief, if you will, mm -hmm. in mourning. But how they've been able to, to be the epitome of, of moving on and, and living in a legacy and still honoring um, is just uh, amazing. And it's good to see because we, we've all experienced devastating losses uh, in our lives. And, uh, you know, they, 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 make, they make it more hopeful, you know, when you see them and they've got it together. And, and they're still able to attend events like this and really show up in this moment. It's beautiful. And what and what a moving tribute mm -hmm. to uh, the late great Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And he he he's beloved by so many, and especially in the city of Angels. And so you know the opportunity to actually put your hands in his. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of folks are going to take her up on that offer. Absolutely. And so really really awesome to see. Still ahead, making mental health a priority mm. in the black community. Yeah, we'll tell you all about one event happening this weekend in the DMV area that's aimed to help improve our health on our terms. That and more straight ahead on Fox Soul's Black Report.
we welcome you back to Foxhole's Black Report. Seven Virginia deputies face second degree murder charges in the death of Ervo Otieno. Uh, during his transfer to a mental health facility, the attorney for the family says they are devastated by the events. That's right. Authorities initially apprehended Otieno for a possible burglary and placed him under an emergency custody order. Now, after our, our after altercations at a hospital in jail, he died at Central State Hospital shortly after being physically restrained. Mm -hmm. The involved deputies are on administrative leave with a grand jury set for March 21st. Very interesting. As you can see here, you've, it, it, it's more of a brown on black on brown. It looks like there's two you know, white deputies uh, involved. Look, I think it speaks to, again, this blue culture that we've been uh, talking about and talking about and talking about, especially in light of uh, a couple of cases, you know, that uh, that we unfortunately had to had to witness via video. Um, and I, I think until that culture is the heartbeat of that culture is addressed. Um, I, I, unfortunately, I believe that cases like this um, are going to continue to happen. I, th I think it also highlights how ill-equipped law enforcement officers are when it comes to folks that are suffering mental health mm -hmm. issues, mm -hmm. mental health disturbances. You know, so whether that is inside uh, a facility or whether it's outside on the streets, mm -hmm. uh, it really seems that that in addition to addressing some of the culture change mm -hmm. uh, needs, uh, that we need to rethink uh, whether or not uh, law enforcement officers are equipped to be able to handle folks that have mental health issues because, uh, you know, this is just untenable. Um, we're experiencing a mental health crisis mm -hmm. in our country. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we have law enforcement officers who take the oath to protect and serve mm -hmm. uh, that are ill-equipped uh, to handle those mental health crises, you know, uh, without, um, you know, uh, succumbing to, you know, violent action uh, in these situations. And so, uh, we'll continue to keep our eye on the story. Yeah, it goes back to training, I think. All right, new numbers from the National Center for Health Statistics are showing that U.S. maternal mortality rates are at an all-time high. What's even more shocking is that researchers found black mothers are the most affected. The mortality rate among black women was 2.6 times as much as the rate for white women in 2021, and 30% of maternal deaths were among black women, making the U.S. one of the most dangerous places among high-income countries to give birth. That just that just blows me away. Yeah, I mean, and we've talked about mm. the black maternal health crisis mm -hmm. again and again and again and yeah. again. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. There's so much more energy around restricting women's reproductive rights as is. opposed to energy around addressing, you know, uh, the maternal health needs mm -hmm. of women in this country. What's wrong with that picture? Yeah. And, and look, the, the water is broke. The infrastructure is 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 broke. The, the banks don't work. And, you know, our babies are dying and in, in, in America uh, in regards to us supposed to being one of the strongest and wealthiest countries it just doesn't add up but what do they say the math isn't math on that <laughs> it just does not make sense it's not it's not and and that's why elections matter and you can't just leave it to an election you got to stay engaged you got to stay on top of it yeah. um, because when left to their own devices they come up with it's silly stuff working. like that bill in South Carolina <laughs> Uh, moving along, the National Alliance on Mental Illness reports that African-Americans are 20% more likely to experience serious mental health problems, but 10 times less likely to seek treatment compared to white Americans. Mm. 
unequal access to care, stigma, and the pandemic's impact contribute to this disparity, creating safe spaces for black mental health, reducing stigma and providing resources can help address these issues. Allies can support by educating themselves, advocating for change, and actively listening to black experiences. So as, we, as we've just discussed, the black community faces unique challenges in addressing mental health with stigma and unequal access to care being major, major barriers not to foster understanding and provide essential resources Organizations like Onyx Therapy Group uh, play a pivotal role in promoting health and well-being. And today we have Dr. Linnell R. Plummer, <laughs> CEO of Onyx Therapy Group, a leading advocate for black mental health in Washington, D.C., joining us on the Black Report for the first time. <laughs> hey, Welcome, Doc. Dr. Plummer. <laughs> Hey, y'all. So excited to be here with you today. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey. And I've heard plenty about Onyx, and you guys are just, <laughs> you, you, you're blazing a new path when it comes to, to health care, uh, mental health care in particular for us black folks. So, you know, what can attendees expect from this year's Spring Mental Health Fair? Uh, I know you're excited about it. And how do you believe events like these uh, help to promote mental health awareness, Doc? Absolutely, it is going to be a great time. We are having our second annual mental health fair on April 16th, right here in Washington, DC. And attendees can anticipate hearing information and participating, right? There's gonna be lots of question and answers. But we have two panels, one specifically related to a topic you all just covered around uh, prenatal and perinatal mental health and the implications on children and childhood obesity. We are also having another panel that's specifically related to entrepreneurship and mental health, especially because we know in times like this, we see a lot of black people creating businesses, but not necessarily understanding or knowing the different ways to address the stress that comes mm -hmm. with owning a business or the challenges that come with owning a business. We also are gonna have 35 wonderful black women vendors. We're going to have a mocktail installation by a counselor who owns a company, a, a mocktail company called Indulge Experience. We're gonna have a go-go band because we understand that music and dancing mm -hmm. Is part of mental health as well. Absolutely. And oddly, we're going to have something new. We're going to have a tattoo artist, Roger Anthony, who's going to be doing mental health-based tattoos there. But we are so excited um, to have our second annual fair. Lots of beautiful, wonderful Black people, panelists, educated, educators, vendors. It's all comprehensive. And we're going to the community, right? Instead of expecting everybody to come to our offices for therapy, we're going back out to the community to provide those services to them. Wow, That's that amazing. sounds so comprehensive. Amazing. Love and the tattoo artist too. Yeah, I do. I love that Form too. Of expression. Yeah. Uh, you know, this has been a long time coming. How do you feel about Onyx Therapy Group reaching its 10-year milestone? And, <laughs> and tell us what inspired you to to create this organization and meet this this clear and present need in our community. Yeah, absolutely. I'm proud of us at Onyx for being able to um, be in operation for 10 years. That means a lot for black businesses. That also means a lot for black women businesses and especially in the mental health industry. So when I started um, my when I started working in mental health about 17 years ago, there were about six six percent of the black population was participating in therapy. And of that six percent, two percent has suicidal ideations, thoughts, and even behaviors. And since that time, over the last 17 years, we've increased the number of black people that are 
accessing and participating in therapy, 16%. So we went from 6% to 16%. I started Onyx because it was important to me for black people to see black therapists. You know, based off of some of our own cultural views, we've been told don't air out our dirty laundry, don't put our business out in the streets. And when we decide to take that, uh, when we decide to go against that approach, we usually want to have somebody that looks like us, that sounds like us, that mm -hmm. represents values like ours so that we don't have to educate a provider on what it means to be black or what it means to be a black woman. Instead, we can just go in there as a client. So 10 years ago, I saw that there was a gap and there there were not a lot of black professional um, counselors. In fact, right now we only have 11% of mental health providers are black. Mm. And that was even less 17 years ago. So there was a need for us and there's still a need for us. And because of that need, we've been able to expand outside of DC. So we're in DC, we're in Maryland, we're in mm. Pennsylvania, we're in Minnesota. We're trying to go to all the places where our black folks need us. We Absolutely. love it. We, we love it. I, we honor the journey there. So just stretching your point just a, a little further, talk a little bit about the importance of uh, destigmatizing conversations around mental health, especially uh, in our community. And then how can, you know, the Onyx uh, Therapy Group, um, how, what are you guys doing to continue to work towards that goal? Right. So I think in our community, a lot of folks think about mental health in terms of some of the diagnostic uh, processes. So depression and anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder and such. And they think, you know, I don't fit into those categories, so I don't necessarily need services. Mm -hmm. But they forget that we also need services as, again, we're trying to navigate and understand entrepreneurship or parenting or relationships mm -hmm. as we're trying to break generational cycles or learn skills that we didn't learn from our parents and from our ancestors. So different things around how to solve a conflict or communication. And not to say that our ancestors and elders didn't teach those things, but they taught it based off of the context that they were living. And we're living in a new time with a new generation, with new expectations, with access to technology. And all of that is overwhelming to be living in a space and not necessarily always feel um, that we have the skills to be successful there. Mental health is in everything we do. It's in our style, it's in our identity, it's in all parts of our lives. And so we just normalize that and primarily through our community-based events like the fair and the quarterly mm -hmm. events that we do as well. In our remaining moments, can you tell us what specific advice you'd give mm -hmm. to our soulmates who may be hesitant to seek professional help for mental health concerns and, and how can they find culturally competent care providers? Mm -hmm. I have a feeling you know exactly where they need to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, I'm going to say check us out over here at Onyx because one of the um, opportunities that we have is that we also help pair people with good quality black counselors. So there's websites like Therapy for Black Girls and Therapy for Black Men. There's also things like Psychology Today, but I know the quality of pairing that we do here at Onyx. So even if we can't provide the actual provider, we can actually put them in the right direction. And I know that for sure because that's what we've been doing for the last 10 years. My advice would be seek out a therapist that 
reflects who you are and what you want to do in therapy. Have a goal in mind of what you want to be able to accomplish and interview your therapist, just like we interview our doctors and our dentists and we make sure that it's the right fit. Then we need to make sure we have the right fit for our therapist as well, because they're helping us with our psyche, with our mental health, with our skill development, with all things that are created um, for us and our identity. Indeed. Dr. Plummer, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. I remember coming to your offices. I used to work in D.C. The radio station was there. You guys had a big grand opening, and I remember it feeling very much like home, and I was just so proud of you sisters and all your counselors. So here we are 10 years later, and you are still doing the work, and we appreciate you so much. You're an official soulmate. You got to come back and join us as this conversation (laughs) is ongoing, girl. Anytime, anytime, anytime. So thank you so much. I appreciate you all so much. Indeed. Thank you, Dr. Thank Plummer. Thank you. We appreciate you. Have a good one. You too, darling. <laughs> As we continue to focus on addressing mental health disparities, it's important to highlight the work of organizations and individuals advocating for change. Now, the Black Church Coalition and Faith in Indiana rallied for full funding of a mental health bill advocating for community mental health services and the 988 crisis hotline. Senate Bill 1 with $30 million removed for uh, an expanded crisis response system is expected to be addressed in the state budget process. Advocates recommend $130 million yearly for crisis response. A fully funded 988 line could prevent tragedies like the death of an Indianapolis youth during a mental health crisis. The bill is currently in the House Committee on Public Health. Let's get it together. Let's let's do what we have to do. Resources, money, let's execute. We uh, talked about uh, some months ago about how the uh, stats on that, that hotline were going up. So mm-hmm. people were actually getting the message and actually reaching out to use it. And so, you know, it has to be viable. It has to be accessible. It has to be supported. And so I'm hoping these folks can understand how crucial this line has been and to keep the upkeep and, and to keep it keep it where it needs to be, which yeah. is available. And especially being that the darkest days of the pandemic, mm-hmm. they really aren't all that far behind us, sure. right? And so we're still coming out of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we don't know what the residual effect of that pandemic is in terms of our, our, our mental health, mm-hmm. dare I say our health from the neck up and neck down. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we this is a good time to be investing more mm-hmm. uh, in mental health. Uh, that 988 hotline has been a lifesaver. Mm-hmm for so many people across this country. And now is not the time for us to take our foot off the pedal. At all. It's to put our, our foot on the pedal and properly resource mental health care in this country. That's right. All right, coming up, tax season is here and the deadline is quickly approaching. And if you need a little bit of help, we got you covered. That's right. We'll introduce you to a CPA who is working to make sure that black Americans get the refund we deserve. <laughs> You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Voxel's Black Report. Well, this tax season, don't fall for these common tax <laughs> myths. Don't let them get you. The federal income tax no. return deadline is April 18th. 
not April 15th. That's yeah. so the first thing little, you got to remember. A little extension there. Uh-huh. Uh, filing an extension, speaking of, doesn't give you extra time to pay old taxes. Interest and penalties are still going to apply. Now, if you made $73,000 or less in 2022, you can use uh, the IRS free file providers to file taxes at no cost. That's right. And remember that you're responsible for your tax returns accuracy, y'all, even if a preparer completes it for you. Also, compare your current and previous tax returns to make proactive changes for 2023. Now, the IRS says last year, more than two thirds of tax filers received refunds. So far this year, the average refund is $3,028 as of March 3rd, compared to uh, over, just over 3,400 uh, the same period last year about an 11% mm, decline. Mm, mm, mm. Well, joining us now to provide tips and insights, it's Carter Cofield, a certified CPA mm-hmm. and principal at Cofield Advisors. Welcome to Fox Soul's Black Report. Thank you for having me, guys. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So let's start here. What, what are the essential steps uh, people should take to ensure they are well prepared for this uh, tax season? I know for me, I'm going to go find a kid. But what, what, do, you, <laughs> <laughs> what do you suggest? <laughs> um, I suggest we get ahead of the curve. I think most people's issues, they wait to April 13th, mm-hmm. 14th, and then they start getting their paperwork and their documentation together. You should have a file on your computer right now where you're taking pictures of your W-2s, your 1099s, all of your statements and getting them to a folder and getting them to your accountant early. One of the worst things that you can do to your CPA, your accountant, is give them your documents a week or a couple days before. So give them the documents early so you can be in the best position to get your tax return filed on time and correctly. So I think if you just get ahead of the curve by getting your documents in place, you'll be better off. Now, are there any specific tax considerations or challenges that affect black folks when filing their taxes? Are there anything anything specific we should be on the lookout for? Yes. So first of all, um, New York Times just released an article that that African-Americans are three to five times more likely to get audited than any other race. And this is because we we tend to try to overtake credits like the child tax credit, like the earned income credit, because we're trying to like, you know, illegally boost our returns and they're targeting people who are taking the child tax credit and and earned income credit. So if we find other ways, more strategic ways to increase our deductions to get a better refund, then we'll get audited a lot less. And speaking of which, can you go into a little bit more detail and highlight some of the more important tax deductions and credits that tax taxpayers should be aware of when filing their tax returns. I know I've missed out on a few here and there over the years. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the best things that we can do is to start a side business because the tax code was not made to benefit uh, employees. The tax code was made to benefit entrepreneurs and investors. So I encourage everybody to turn their hobby into a side hustle because mm. then they can t- turn their hobby expenses into tax deductions. So if you love traveling, start a travel blog. Now you can write off your travel, your um, videos, your cell phone, and then those losses from your side business get subtracted from your from your work income, therefore bringing down your income, therefore increasing your tax refund. So at that point, are we getting into like a LLC? Is that what you would suggest, something like that? or? Yeah, yeah. So set up an LLC. Okay. They're they're cheap in certain states, but, but like we're already spending this money anyway. Mm-hmm. If you're using your cell phone to shoot content 
then your cell phone should be a tax deductible expense. If you're using your car to drive Uber or something like that, now you're, car, you're able to write off a portion of your car. We're already spending the money anyway. Right. Why not allow the IRS to help us pay some of these bills that we're already paying? Come on, Carter. So, so tell us, you know, how can taxpayers keep track of their expenses and deductions throughout the year to make sure that the tax filing process is smoother? I know you just mentioned, you know, setting up that little folder on your desktop <laughs> on the computer, you know. Uh, but, but what else can we do? What other tricks of the trade uh, to make sure that we're not caught flat-footed around taxis? Yeah. Absolutely. So I recommend um, using a software called QuickBooks. It really allows you to track all your expenses in an easy, easy, seamless way. And then if you are going to have a business or the side hustle, get a separate bank account. So all of the mm. income from the side business comes into this account and then all the expenses come out the account. So now you have one statement to pull all your transactions and you're doing us a favor because we don't have to si siphon through all of your personal statements trying to find these expenses. Oh my, for first thing I need to do sounds like I need to call Carter. Help <laughs> 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 me out with tax season starts. Uh, listen, there's been a lot of talk about all these changes, these regulations. It is so confusing. Can you claim this kid? Are you getting this back? Can you do this? What impact do deductions and, and these changes, um, what impact do they have and what should people do to continue to uh, adapt to these changes aside from, you know, reaching out to experts? like yourself. Yeah, I think staying educated is so important. You mm -hmm. all said something at the beginning that the, the, the tax refund has dropped about 11%. A big part of that is because due to COVID, the tax, the child tax credit was at 3,000 per mm -hmm. child. Now it's down to 2,000. A lot of people were depending on those credits to like get their refund. So I think we have to stay educated and understand, all right, if the law is changing, how can I maneuver myself the best way to get in front of the law? So one of the new changes that the tax Cuts and Job Act enacted upon us is that if you make your money through a business or a side hustle or something like that, you get what's called a QBI deduction, which you get a 20% tax deduction just for earning money as a business owner versus a W-2 employee. So a lot of people that work W-2 jobs, I encourage them, ask your employer if they will pay you as a 1099 contractor mm. instead, of, instead of a W-2 employer, because you will get a 20% tax deduction just by changing the way that you get paid. Oh, those 1099s used to be scary for mm -hmm. me, though, because they, they would pull all my money yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's so, it, I mean, listen, it's, it's about educating yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah it is. You're right. You're, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, so I wanted to ask you about married couples. This is a question that one of my friends oh, that's had. Good. That's good. You know, to, to file or not to file jointly? You know, what, what advice would you give, you know, to the newlyweds out there, you know, that are trying to figure out if this is the year that they want to file together or not. We going separate. I'm, 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 I'm asking. I'm asking for a friend. Yeah, I'm about six months in, and we going separate, baby. I can't, I can't handle it just well, yet. It, it depends. It depends if you are okay with all the things that your spouse has going on. Mm -hmm. So, from a tax standpoint, it makes more sense for you to file jointly because you get more deductions and credits filing together that you won't get filing separately. Now, if your spouse owes back taxes and things like that, then you want to consider that. Because <laughs> say, Carter, we, say, Carter, say that again for the people in the back. That's very important, baby. If, 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 your, if your spouse has back taxes that they owe, 
and you file with them and you're supposed to get a refund, the government is taking your refund and paying mm. it towards their tax bill. So you want to be very clear on those those initial conversations before you file jointly. So that's <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say there. Don't don't get set up, soulmates. <laughs> don't let it happen. By your boo. You're gonna go from marriage to divorce <laughs> in one tax season. Oh man. Carter Cofield, we thank you so much. You have been amazing. We gotta have you back. Uh, we appreciate your expertise and and shedding a little light on this tax season. Cause you know, taxes could be scary for the soulmates sometimes, but you yeah, you, yeah. You've made I try to make it fun. Yeah, you did. You, you accomplished just that. We this, appreciate this, you. This is the good. most fun tax conversation I've <laughs> you, ever had. You ain't never lied. That was fun. <laughs> Carter for, for, for IRS administrator. <laughs> one Thanks, day, brother. One day. Thank you. Thank you. All right. New research shows that 63 percent of black employees don't believe uh, hard work will get them ahead in today's workplace. It's not too hard to imagine. Now, the new study revealed 38 percent of people consider themselves quiet quitters. That's your little, mm. that's your little thing there versus 33 percent of overall respondents. Respondents answered uh, many questions about their occupations uh, and their work habits, along with views on workplace related issues. The quiet quitting concept does not mean someone has left their job, but refers to a person only doing the bare minimum to keep a job. It also may indicate that a worker is unhappy with their current position and is even prepared to make a job change. You know, you know part of what I gleaned from this, this story mm -hmm. is that there are a lot of black folks out there that may feel stuck in the workforce, mm -hmm. right? It's like, okay, well, you know, I'm not the boss, you know, and I'm not no longer entry level, you know, and maybe this is as far as I'm gonna go here, so I'm just gonna sit tight. Right. And so, you know, hence, you know, becoming quiet quitters, you know, or I think another way to look at it is they just sort of, you know, resolve themselves to the fact that, OK, it is what it is. Yeah. I'm just I'm just going to make this work for some me. Of it can, some of it could be like a little paranoia or worry or concern because, you know, we we know that sometimes uh, corporations and companies don't invest. You you give of yourself, you go above and beyond. And, you know, yeah, you get a check every week or biweekly or what have you. But sometimes that extra recognition for those folks mm -hmm. to upper management or ownership to see that, you know, you're working on 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 their behalf to, to better the environment or whatever the case may be, you know, and sometimes people are just like, well, you know, they, you know, I could lose my job tomorrow, so I'm gonna just sit here and do the minimum, you know? But you know, to the point that Carter made earlier, I wonder how many of those folks have said, well, I'm gonna be a quiet quitter here, but I'm gonna start my side hustle, my side business, and I'm gonna redirect this energy that I was that's, gonna give to my full time, energy. you know, to my after hours that's job. 60, 40 energy, that's it. Well. Today, for her story, we honor business mogul Sheila Johnson, the first female African-American billionaire. Yeah, Ms. Johnson is the only African-American woman to have a principal shareholder stake in three professional sports teams, the Washington Wizards, the Capitals, and the Mystics. And she also established Salamander Resort and Spa. I've been there. The only five-star resort owned by a black woman in the United States, y'all. Shay Shay Foo Foo La La. It's tucked away <laughs> okay. on 340 acres of the greenest land in Middleburg, Virginia. Johnson mm. and ex-husband Robert Johnson sold BET to Viacom in 1999 for three yeah. billion dollars. That was a huge story. I remember that. You remember that? Yeah. Big, yeah. big news. It was a big deal. It was mm -hmm. big. She's a big deal. She is. And she's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. She, you know, she has quite a personality. Uh, and would uh, you hang with her at the Salamander? Not, the, not the Salamander, but I saw her on the vineyard and had a lovely conversation oh, with the her. Vineyard. <laughs> 
<laughs> Bye, Courtney. <laughs> Read it. Read Up next on Fox Soul's Black Report, Whoopi Goldberg is apologizing. We'll tell you uh, why she took to social media to address comments she made, uh, recently made on The View. And we've talked about it. We didn't think it was all that bad, but we'll bring it to you. We'll be right back. Stay close. Whoopi Goldberg is apologizing for an offensive word she used on Wednesday's episode of ABC's The View. She used a word that's an ethnic slur for Romani people. That's right, in a video, Goldberg apologized, saying that she said a word she used to say as a kid without thinking. Mm -hmm. Goldberg goes on to say that she should have thought quotes a little longer before saying it. Now, this apology comes following previous offensive comments Goldberg has said about the Holocaust. And we, we talked about it in our in our morning meeting, mm -hmm. and I've used the word before. Um, she said she, she was buying something or she, and she felt like she got gypped. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I remember my parents using it, and yeah. I, I, you know, and I know times have changed mm -hmm. and things have become more offensive as we become, you know, more politically correct and or uh, sensitive. Uh, I don't think she meant it, meant any harm by it. But nowadays, when you're on that huge platform like that, uh, I guess you need to work on a need-to-know basis. So maybe she needed to know that that would be offensive. I don't think it was anything egregious. Yeah, or I mean, like that. I don't think so either. And I think there are a lot of people that may be watching this right now that mm -hmm. are like that. That's offensive. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to sort of educate one another, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. and we shouldn't be so quick. I believe to assume malintent, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and and so, yeah. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg has no reason to, you know, make light or make fun of of any particular group that doesn't seem to be her jam. And mm -hmm. so, that's the way it goes Alrighty. these days. Uh, so follow up kind of here with uh, Michael Irvin, the NFL Hall of Famer and analyst for the NFL Network. Uh, released security camera video of the encounter in the hotel lobby that led to misconduct allegations made by a female employee. Now, Irvin filed a $100 million defamation lawsuit against the Marriott Hotel and the female staffer who accused him of inappropriate behavior. The hotel claims Irvin unpleasantly stared at the woman after a brief conversation and allegedly made a sexual remark as she walked away. There is no audio on the videos, but now Irvin and his lawyers think these images will clear him of wrongdoing. Now, Courtney, historically, how many times have we seen stories like this mm -hmm. where a black man, you know, sort of looks at a woman, mm -hmm. um, you know, particularly, you know, um, a white woman, though not exclusively, you know, and just by looking at them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or allegedly whistling at them, mm -hmm. right, um, you know, that can be the cause of, you know, uh, violence against them. Uh, violence sometimes ends in death. Mm -hmm. um, in, in his case, you know, uh, it, it has created some harm to his professional, uh, uh, to his career. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it's sort of irresponsible. There, there are a lot of women out there, mm -hmm. you know, that are, you know, facing s serious threats of harassment and of mm -hmm. violence. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some folks out there that think that when when folks sort of, you know, make a mole into a, a, a mountain, mm -hmm. a molehill into a mountain, uh, they think that it, it diminishes the more serious claims, you know, of lots of other women that well, are out there. Once that video was released, you know, I went straight to black Twitter and mm -hmm. now everybody is like, look, it should be flipped and maybe some charges should be brought up against her because clearly it doesn't 
appear to be any harassment. Of course, you don't hear uh, what's being said, but a lot of folks have sided back with Irvin. Mm -hmm. Well, basketball legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is teaching us that material items, they don't mean success. Details are now surfacing regarding the 2019 sale of the Legends Championship ring and league memorabilia. Kareem doled the items for a $2.8 million payment that went to support a youth <laughs> education program. He says over the years, he's grown less attached to them and that the inspiration behind the gesture was to ensure that children who were underserved and underrepresented could spend five days in the Angeles National Forest. In the forest? In the forest and in the park. He wants to send kids oh, like to the park. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, I you think that's. You're not a fan of camping. No, I'm not. Oh. Um, however, I'm. You know, you know. Listen, he's a he's a, an amazing athlete, legendary, iconic. But I would like. Doesn't he have kids? And 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 I think one of his children is in the coaching and, mm -hmm. and grand. I just would have left those for them. That's just me. But I think but he I probably figured. He probably figured they already have enough coming to them, right? And. But those are artifacts that you can't get back i mean you you know you won that in a moment it's historic i mm. mean it's it's legendary like you're not gonna get that ring back kareem said like, it's mine and this is yeah. what i'm gonna do with my ring. respect respect <laughs> but I, I think i would have kept those in like the the family like a family heirloom yeah, kind of thing yeah 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 all right for the right price you may have a chance to be like mike we're keeping with basketball here a pair of michael jordan championship game worn sneakers are headed for auction. The basketball legend's valuable bread 13s will go up for auction soon. The shoes are some of the most popular of all time as he wore them during the 88 NBA Finals. Experts say uh, they could go from anywhere close to $4 million. Well, I wish my brother Joe would have held on to his sneakers. If my nephew LJ is watching, your dad had every single one of those sneakers and right he there. Didn't, he, he didn't hold on to them? He didn't hold on to those? Yeah. Well, sometimes those sneakers tore up. They were expensive and they were high end in regards to, look at me, I got Jordans, but some, they would tear up. If I can remember my brother's wearing them. Let me tell you, again. Joe took care of his Jordans. Really? And, and I was not to touch them. Yeah, and the only reason why you would want those worn shoes is because they are Michael Jordan's. Any other yeah. body's worn gym shoes, I wouldn't, you know, want. Would you? I mean, after playing in them too, I would wear Jordan shoes. I, I want to mm -hmm. at least feel uh, like Mike because I can't play like Mike, and so mm -hmm. I at least want to put the shoes on and maybe feel like Mike for a minute. Okay. Well, singer and songwriter Bobby Caldwell, best known for his hit "What You Won't Do for Love," he's died. He's with the ancestors. Caldwell died in his sleep Tuesday night at his home in New Jersey. His wife says he died in their home and had been dealing with health issues for a while. His most popular song, What You Won't Do For Love, hit the Billboard Hot Top 110 when it was released. The song has been sampled or covered more than 100 times. Bobby Caldwell was 71 years old. All right, we'll be right back. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. He's with the adopted ancestors. Welcome back to Fox Hole's Black Report. 18-year-old Elise Monroe was looking for the perfect fitting gown to wear for prom. Yeah, it was her experience shopping for that dress that has now gone viral. Take a look. Get this party started. I'm very excited. We got a lot of cute dresses for her. So let's get started. 
Okay, this is the first look. I love it. But her family is saying it's too much boobs hanging out. So we're going to go to the next look. I love that on you. It is so beautiful. I love the sleeve moment is what I like. I love the crystals, the corset. Yeah. Disney princess. Woo! <laughs> it's not bad, but the purple one kind of like, it's cute though. Like, as you, if it's tightened up a little bit. So, this dress is 700 but it's free. We're giving it to you. Are you serious? <laughs> I gotta get my 10% back and this is a part of it Oh, in this video posted to TikTok, Elisa seemed full of tears after the shop owner offered the dress for free as a way to give back. As you heard her say, Summer Lucille was inspired to open Juicy Body Goddess Boutique in Charlotte from her own experiences shopping for formal dresses as a plus size girl. Now, Elise is ready to confidently strut into her prom next month. The prom shopping video now has over 14 million views. Wow. For the full run of these stories and more, you can access Fox Souls video on demand. Any of our partners, you can even access past shows if you missed out. Don't forget, Soulmates, download that Fox Soul app. It is absolutely free. It's been a good one. You didn't know Bobby Caldwell was black, was white, rather? <laughs> I didn't. You did not know. I thought he was you know black what? all these Upon years. Upon his passing, a lot of people are just finding out that he was a blue-eyed soul brother. This is true. This is true. And yeah. of, of all days to learn this, it is National Black Press Day. Oh, nice. Uh, almost 200 years in the making. And so all the members of the black press out there and all the shoulders that we stand on, we salute you. And Bobby Caldwell is, is white. In <laughs> a black, a, he's white in a black kind of it's way. It's been established. I'm glad you know that. Uh, he, white in a black kind yes, of way. Yes, and I'm the Cordelia Corte. I'm Courtney Higgs. <laughs> Until next time, y'all, stay lifted. <laughs> With the ancestors. <laughs> Adopted ancestors. <laughs>